So we're in uh, 2 John. We're looking this evening at verses 4 through 6. Um, he says here, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. As we have received a commandment from the Father, and now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is the love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. We have been looking at this uh, book and talking about the different aspects of, in which it applies to our lives. Last week we talked about the balance, the balance needed in our life uh, concerning love and truth. We're never to sacrifice truth on the altar of love. We saw uh, the greeting, the guarantee, and the grace in the first three verses there that are mentioned. I believe it was J. Vernon McGee that divided those first three verses like this. He tells us about the power, the power of truth in verse number one. He says, the elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth and not I only, but as also all they that have known the truth. The truth impacts every life it touches. That's the joy about carrying the gospel to anywhere in the world. When you bring the truth, it changes lives. And there's power in the word of God, in the truth. And then we see the permanency of the truth in verse number two. He says, for truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. The word of God, uh, forever settled in heaven. The truth that's always going to be with us, the permanency of it. And we see the product of truth in verse number three. He says, grace be with you, mercy and peace. These are things that truth produces in the life of the believer. As we learn and learn, love and seek after truth, these things are produced in our lives. Now, in an environment of love, as we are again dealing with and talking about this topic or aspect of love and loving the brethren, I want to encourage you or caution you that it is very possible in an environment where love is our motivating factor and where as Christians we are commanded to love one another and generally as God's people that is something that we try and do. I want to caution you to be careful not to take advantage of love that's extended to you. Just because someone is willing for love's sake to meet your need does not mean that it would be wise for them to do so or for you to ask for it. It's just a word of caution because there comes a point, I believe, when you as the asker are encroaching upon others. You are even yourself entering a place of, of abusing the compassion, the care, and the love that other people should have for you. But you have become what some would call a user or some would call a taker instead of a giver. If you find yourself as an individual always on the receiving end, you might ought to look at and consider where it is and what you're doing. Because that does tend to wear on people. And we need to be very careful about that. Now, in the church, in God's house, we're to love one another. And if somebody has a need, we're to try and meet that need. But if every fourth day Brother Hunt calls me because he has a need, because his car's broke down, because he's got a flat tire, because he's, he's got a, a, a battery that's wore out, because he needs some shoes for his kids, because uh, he lost his job, because uh, the power's going to get shut off at his house, and, and because the, one thing after the next, after the next, after the next, after the next, if he keeps on, keeps on, keeps on, you know, how many of you know that starts getting old? 
as somebody that, that's, that's called, Brother Hunt said that gets old, amen, uh, when it rains it pours. Uh, but what I'm saying is I just, it's just as an introductory thought here, I just want to caution you and be careful that you don't become uh, one that takes advantage of the love of God's people. On the other hand, we're going to deal tonight with love, and we're going to be talking to the church family about this aspect, which we've touched on and hit many times already. But I want you to know that just as an introductory caution, please don't take advantage of God's people. Please don't take advantage of the compassion and the love that they are commanded by God to have for you, and then you would use and abuse that. That is not where we should be as God's people. This this evening really is a continuation of last week's message. If last week's message could be described as the boundary of love, although, uh, you know, this evening we might be able to call this the bounty, the bounty of love. As we see, first of all, in verse number four, the encouraging result. He says, I rejoice greatly. He rejoices at the work that was being done because of the truth that was being exercised in their lives. As we have, he says, I rejoice greatly that I have found thy children walking in truth. The truth of the word of God comes into the heart of believers and changes them. But how many of you know it's still a choice we have to make to walk in truth? It's still a decision. We have to decide to take that step to do what God wants us to do. There is no greater joy for a father or a mother to know that their children walk in truth. There is no uh, greater joy or satisfaction for a believer who has the privilege of leading somebody else to Jesus Christ and begin to disciple them and see them grow and see them come along uh, and... Excuse me, and begin to do what God wants them to do. That is so thrilling and exciting for a believer. It brings joy to their heart. It also brings joy to the heart of God because we are being obedient. Beloved, if this is applied to the church, it's not given to just one individual. Obviously, this text has been written to a lady, and there's debate of whether it's this individual lady or whether it is representative of the church as a whole. We certainly could apply it to that. And if that's the case, I just want you to understand, beloved, there's an emphatic statement here. An emphatic statement is that the church should be having new births. He says, I see uh, thy children walking in truth. That is new believers. That is people that are, have been born again. It should be uh, normal for a church to be seen soul saved, to be seen new births, to be seen young coming and growing. I remember I was in a church uh, one time and there was a, uh, a pastor. For, he was actually a missionary uh, from the foreign field. He was speaking that day and he got up and he, he said, I just, I just have to tell you, preacher. And he was talking to the preacher of, of the church we were in that day. He says, I have to tell you, this church makes me nervous. He said, the reason it makes me nervous is this church is a little bit too squeaky clean for me. He says, I'm just looking around here and I don't see any guys with long hair. I don't see any guys wearing earrings. I didn't smell anybody that smells like smoke coming in tonight. I don't see anybody that you would look at and say they're not dressed right. He says, the fact of the matter is the church ought to be seeing new births. There ought to be some people coming into the church who maybe haven't got everything in order yet or haven't looked, they they haven't got everything figured out how you do or other people do or whatever. He's saying, listen, if a church gets too squeaky clean, then the problem is, is they're not reaching a lost. 
Because a church is supposed to be going out in the highways and hedges and compelling them to come in. And there ought to be some people in church that haven't quite learned how to act in church yet. They don't know the hymns yet. They don't know what, the, 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 what we do at certain times and when to stand and when to sit. And they're trying to figure all this out. Why? Because it's all new to them. A church ought to be having new births. We need to be reaching the lost and discipling them and bringing them on, along. And what a joy it is for the church. Listen, new birth is the lifeblood of a church. If we are not involved in reaching out and bringing new people to God's house, the church will eventually die. This group as a congregation, as a, as a house of worship, will ultimately perish because you've got to have new births. I think it's understood here tonight that there's a big difference between knowing the truth and walking in it. He says, I rejoice greatly that I found thy children walking in truth. There is a drastic difference between just knowing something and doing it. We are not to just be hearers of the word, but we are to be doers of the word. We should not be coming to God's house and just hearing and soaking up and listening to the preaching and saying, boy, that was great, or oh, that touched my heart tonight, or oh, that one wasn't for me. I'm sure that one was for Miss Trudy. Uh, I don't know, but what I'm saying is the word of God should be coming into our heart, and the word of God should be changing our lives. We should not just be hearers, but we should be doers. We should be walking in the truth. I know that stretching is really good for me, as we were talking about last Sunday morning. I know that it, it makes a big difference in the pain that I get in my back or not. But you know what? I don't stretch much. There's a big difference between knowing about it and doing it. And I'm afraid, beloved, that a lot of times Christians know the truth, but they're not living it. They know what's right, but they're not doing it. A lot of the problems that we're having in our lives, a lot of the failures we're having in our Christian walk could be avoided if we were just doing what we know we're supposed to do. That's the fact of the matter. If we were just doing what we already know we're supposed to do. We don't need new, new revelation from God. We just need to get recommitted to doing what we know is right. And if we do it, we can be victorious and we will be encouraged. There's an encouraging result here, the rejoicing greatly. We see an emphatic rule given to us in verse number five. He says, and now I beseech thee, I beseech thee, he says, this is important. Listen, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee. He says, this is not something new, but that which we had from the beginning that we love one another. Beloved love is a powerful motivator. You know, you can do a lot with a stick. Right, interns? No, just kidding. <laughs> you can do a lot with a stick. You can do a little bit more with a carrot many times. But you can do abundantly more when love is the motivator. When love is involved, there is nothing that is too much of a sacrifice. Matter of fact, it's not a sacrifice at all. Love is a powerful motivator. I think about my little sister, Rebecca, <coughs> when she was just four or five years old, my dad had gone and bought uh, 2,000 pounds of uh, uh, sand, uh, and he had it in a trailer. Well, this trailer was a trailer that was actually an old pickup truck bed that they had taken off of the pickup and 
cut the, cut the cab off and took the front half of the truck and put it together and put a ball on it. And so it was single wheel, but because it was off of a pickup bed, it was very well balanced. Well, he had picked up 2,000 pounds of sand and brought it home, and when they disconnected it from the truck, the tail was heavier than the tongue, and so it fell backwards. Well, the problem is, is uh, little Rebecca did not know how balanced that truck was, and she went out, and she was hanging on the tongue of that trailer, and her weight was sufficient to pull it the other direction, and she was swinging on it, and the tongue of that trailer came down and hit and, and crushed her right in her belly, underneath it. A 2,000-pound trailer. Dad went out there and picked that up, picked the, picked the tongue of that trailer. I don't know how much the tongue weight was, but it was enough. It, su- it severed her, her, her bowel, her small intestine. And uh, they, of course, rushed her to the hospital. It was repaired, and obviously she's Okay. Uh, we praise the Lord for that. But I, I just still remember thinking about, man, how did dad pick that up? Dad's like, I didn't even notice the weight. It didn't even, like, it didn't even register to me that this was heavy. There was love there. There was a motivation there. There was adrenaline that, that reached, grabbed that and pulled that off. That was like it was nothing. Love is a powerful motivator. Beloved, love is the remedy, remedy for a wandering heart. Oh, the songwriter said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. But the next phrase is prone to leave the God I love. And as I thought about that, I had to think, you know what? The problem is, is there's not enough love. If there was more love there, we would be a lot less prone to wander. A man who's truly in love with his wife is not, his eyes aren't wandering. His heart isn't wandering. He's not leaving the love of his life. It's when love uh, brings, burns low, when that, <clears throat> that passion and desire for his, his mate uh, falters, when that love is not present, then he wanders. And beloved, we're wandering from God way too much because our love is not great enough. Love is a powerful motivator, but it has to be present. Love is the only thing that can mend a broken relationship. You can get all of the one, two, three steps that you want. You can get the rules. You know what? I've sat and sat in my office and, and counseled and talked to people uh, about their relationship. And I can give them some tools. I can give them some direction. And here's some laws about communication. And here's some steps towards uh, uh, conflict resolution. And here's some, here, here's some tools that can help you. But you know what? If there is no love there, it's not going to happen. Love has to be the motivating factor that repairs that relationship, that, that forgives the hurts that have arisen, that, that walks through the fire together. You've got to have that love. That love has to be present. Criticism and gossip and anger, these things will only feed the fire of hostility between you and another. Arguments only broaden that great gap between you and another. Somebody has to let love lead. Somebody has to let love lead and do what's necessary. You see, beloved, we have here in, in this point an emphatic rule. I, as I pondered and thought about this, you know, this, this is a command. 
He says it over and over again. This is a commandment. Not a new commandment, same as the old. It's a commandment that you love one another, not a suggestion or a request. This is as much of a commandment that you love one another as the thou shalt not. The command for us to love one another. You see, Christian, <laughs> you, don't, you don't get to just love the two or three or four people in the church that love you back. Not according to that command. There is a command that you are to love one another. It's not an option. It's not, oh, if I feel that love from them, I will reciprocate and give love back. Oh, but this is, this is an, so important. It is a command that we love one another. You know, there's some people that are less lovely than others. Some people less lovable than others. And most of the time that boils down to differences in personality and things like that. Some, some that you, you connect with well and some that you don't connect with. And, and these friendships and things that develop, they can be good, but I want you to understand we're, we're commanded to love everyone. Everyone in the church. We've looked at this command several times over the last few months because we've been studying the book of 1 John. Thirteen times in the word of God, we're commanded to love one another. Ten of those are written by John. Five of them are in the book of 1 John. So we've, we've touched on this. You might be sitting here tonight and say, man, Pastor, we, we, we've heard this. We know that we're supposed to love one another. Um. But you know, the more that we know and embrace truth, the more we will love each other. <clears throat> because this is truth. It's a command. We don't, we don't get the option. This love that we have for one another is proof of our understanding of God's law as well as our love. It's proof of our love. God says that very clearly. And we've looked at it, so I'm not going to take time to turn to those passages in 1 John and in the book of John that, um, you know, by this shall men know that you are my disciples, right? We, we've looked at these passages of Scripture. But I want you to see, lastly this evening, the exercised reality in verse number 6. He said, and this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment. That as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. You see, it's an exercise of the love if we're going to walk in his commandments. Now, you know there's three types of love that the word of God describes. There's a sensual love that is there out in the world. 
There's, of course, phileo, which is a brotherly love that we have for one another. And there's agape love. This is the love that comes from God. This is the kind of love that's only possible in and through God. We are to exercise this kind of love in our lives. You know, when Peter and the Lord were discussing love, you remember that conversation? You know, Jesus looked at him and says, Peter, lovest thou me? He said, yes, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. What did Jesus say to him? Feed my sheep. You see, love is an action verb. Love results in action. It's not just a, a feeling in your heart that gives you butterflies like this world likes to describe. It's a command that we love one another. Do you know that the exercise of love that's found in the devoted life of a believer is far more important than the exercise of his spiritual gifts? We like to talk about spiritual gifts and we like to talk about how, you know, we've got this gift or we, we want to take this test and find out what our spiritual gift is. And we, we, could, we can focus on that and try and grab a hold of it. No, this is my spiritual gift. And, and, this, and, and that's great. But, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, listen, listen to these first three verses. Listen to how important this is. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... And have not charity, I am becoming a sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. He said, it doesn't matter how gifted you are. It's meaningless if there is not charity. Verse number two says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could move mountains. I mean, you hear that? Having faith that can move mountains. We talk about this life-changing faith, this faith that can accomplish and believe God. And boy, it's impossible to, to uh, please God except through faith. The just shall live by faith. We, we talk about that, but he says, as though I have all faith so that I could move mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. That's pretty powerful. That's how important the command is. In verse number three, he says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Beloved, your spiritual gift is just a tool through which God is able to show his love to a lost world. So obeying the command to love one another is far more important. I don't know that we'll have time to, to look at all these things tonight. I, I wanted to look at those few verses in 1 Corinthians 13 and talk about the distinctive, distinctive of true love. There's three things that true love is and three things that true love is not. There's five things which true love does and five things which true love does not do. I don't know how much time we'll have, but let's just look at a few. Maybe I'll try and just run through them quickly. First of all, the three things that love is, we know that love suffers long. It endures continually with people. It endures. Love is kind, courteous, polite. Are you kind to others? Are you kind 
to your mate? Are you kind to your sister, Stephen? The one that's not home, yeah, I'll be kind to her. She's not around here to aggravate me. You see, love is kind. We got to be careful about how we're treating each other. Sir, you got to be careful how you're treating your, your wife. You know we're supposed to love her like Christ loved the church. Love is kind. Just being kind. Love never fails. That means it doesn't drop off. I actually looked this up. It's a sailor's term that means staying the chorus. You know, I think about a, a mother's love and how that just endures. A mother's love is just like, I mean, the son can be the, the, the biggest pain in her side. And yet she's like, well, he's my son. I, I love him. I'm going to pray for him till the day I die. I, I'm just going to keep a mother's love. Just that's the kind of love we're supposed to have. But, you know, I, I've talked to people that say, well, if she doesn't change, I'm done. Wait a minute. You're told, you, you said you loved her. You said till death do us part. Love stays the course. It doesn't drop off. It doesn't get to the end and say, that's all I got. Three things love is not. Love envieth not. That is, it's not jealous. Love removes envy and replaces it with joy. Are you, are you excited about the success and prosperity and the blessings in other people's lives? Or are you envious of that? See, love is not, love envieth not. If you really love them, you, you're excited about their success. I was just telling somebody before church, my, my, my brother has a really nice skid steer. I mean, a beautiful machine. It's hard not to envy that. <laughs> like, man, you know, looking at that, boy. Now he, he said, come and get it. It's like, you can have it for a month, whatever. Like, well, it's a little bit of a drive, but... Uh, you know what I'm saying? You just do you envy? And we've got to move on. Love, uh, things it's not, it is not puffed up. Love is not arrogant. A man is puffed up when he thinks more highly of himself than he should, and he tries to get there with hot air. A man that thinks too highly of himself and then tries to get there by telling everybody about what he is and who he is. Love is, is not puffed up. Love is not easily provoked. You know, this is this. How easily are you provoked? You know, there's some husband and wives that uh, they just push each other's buttons. I mean, they can't hardly have a conversation about the grass outside without it turning into a little bit of a spat between them. They're just easy, like, well, you said it like this, or you said it like that, and I took it like this. And I mean, they're easily provoked. Brothers and sisters supposed to have love? How easily are you provoked? Brothers unloading the dishwasher and puts the cup in the wrong place, or you come in and move it. What? I'm not doing a good enough job for you? Then you can, you can empty it yourself. You're just easily provoked. Love's not that way. Love says thank you. 
And I realized I stuck that in the wrong spot. What I'm saying is I don't think we're loving like we should. I'm just talking on the practical sense, between one another, between our kids. You, you, you parents that have young kids, you need to watch for these things in their life. It's important you don't let these things go unaddressed. If they're easily provoked and always arguing and yelling at each other, there is not a display of love there. Five things that love does. It rejoices in truth. Love longs for, this is verse number six if you're in 1 Corinthians 13. Love longs for truth more than anything else. Love, love just rejoices in truth. Love beareth all things, verse number seven. That's to just bear it. It means to cover up with silence a matter of irritation. Proverbs 10, verse number 12 says, Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. You know, in a church, we love one another. We have grace with each other. You know, when you love a brother or sister, there's times where maybe one of the men in the church here and we're praying together and we're talking about our struggles, or burdens, whatever they are. You know, you, you could do a lot of hurt to that brother by carrying those requests or those private conversations out and telling a bunch of people about it. But you don't do that because you love them. You know, husbands and wives, you could literally destroy your partner. But you see, love covereth a multitude of sins. Love beareth these things. I want to encourage you, as long as it is lawful and not hurting them, you need to be extremely careful making somebody else look bad. Because that's not loving. Sometimes husbands and wives in a public, out here in the foyer, boy, he couldn't find his way out of a paper bag, lost three times on the way to church. What do you think that does to him? Makes him feel about this small? You got to be careful about that. Love doesn't do that kind of thing. As long, and the reason I say as long as it's lawful or not hurting, you got to be cautious because I know of women, ladies, who have covered for their husbands that were involved in sin that didn't come and seek any help. And ultimately, their husband has left them. Now she is mom with six kids all by herself because she was covering for his sin. Oh, it just started where, oh, he's just not feeling good tonight. Yeah, he he didn't make it to church when she knew he was just sitting at home watching TV. Yeah, he's sick and just pray for him. You know, he'll, he'll get better. Just covering for him, covering for him. Covering for him. You know, that's not love because you got to go back to love rejoices in truth. And we never sacrifice truth on the altar of love. 
So you've got to be careful. Love believeth all things. Verse number seven. Willingness and uh, a confidence there, a confidence to trust no matter what. Believeth all things. Love rejoiceth in truth. We've addressed this. Uh, Hopeth in all things. Do you have hope no matter what? No matter how dark it is? You can hope. Why do we have so much hope in God? Because we know how much he loves us. That hope is always present because of the love that he has for us. Well, that's the love we should have for one another. Love endureth all things. Endures. Just continues on. Five things that love doesn't do. And I know I'm going quick. Vaunteth not itself. That Love doesn't brag. You hear someone bragging. They don't have true love. We're bragging any time that we put the focus on us instead of God. You know, you can even do this in reverse. Maybe consciously, maybe subconsciously, I don't know. But how many of you have ever been into somebody's house that was spotless? I mean, there's still, you know, vacuum marks on the rugs and... And then you come in, and, and then the lady, the, the, the woman of the house, goes, Oh, I'm sorry my house is such a mess. Um, yeah, my house has never been this clean. <laughs> and uh, what are you talking about? I know that there's one or two things that maybe you would have put away if you knew I was stopping by or whatever. But you see, that kind of a thing is the opposite. It's, it's seeking for, you know, if I say it enough... Then you'll say, oh, this house is not a mess. This house is beautiful. Wow, look at this. Look, it's really nice. Oh, uh, my house has never been this clean. See, in reverse. You ever, you ever heard a, la- a lady put a, a delicious pie down in front of you and say, that pie is probably no good? <laughs> she knows that pie is like, I mean, enough to make you, you know, slap your brains out. <laughs> she knows it's delicious. But no, that pie is probably no good, you know. We've got to be careful about this. Love braggeth not. Love does not behave itself unseemly. This is against the scheme or the plan or character. Behaving itself unseemly. On one hand, we say we love our spouse or we love our friend or we love our brother or sister in Christ. But then we say things or do things that are against them. You see, this is against the scheme, a plan or character, behaving itself unseemly. You know, how many, <laughs> I know you guys don't, you're not in the, the shoes that I'm in, and so you don't see a lot of these things, but I can't tell you how many times I've had a husband who in anger said things to his wife and then had to say, well, I didn't mean them. I was mad. I was angry. You see, that's behaving yourself unseemly. That's saying things, doing things. On one hand, you're saying, boy, I love her. I love her more than anything else. But then you're behaving yourself unseemly. You're, you're saying things that are going against the plan, that are going against what you're saying. You, on one hand, you're saying, boy, I, I love God. But on the other hand, you're taking God's name in vain. That's going against the scheme or the plan. We've got to make sure that these things all line up. Love seeks not its own. 
does not look for his own interest. You know, life is not all about you. Life is not about your satisfaction, your happiness. It is a worldly philosophy for you to believe that life is about you. And that everybody around you, their objective and goal is to meet your needs. To make you happy. To somehow give you what you need to get through the day. That is a worldly philosophy, not a Christian philosophy. Love seeketh not his own. I'm telling you this thing about about love. We need to get back to biblical thinking about love. And our love for one another inside the church, this brotherly love we're supposed to have, this agape love that that it, it gives and expects nothing in return. Many times people are focused on their rights instead of their responsibilities. See, one that's seeking his own, he's looking at his rights instead of his responsibilities. You know, sir, you're commanded to love her whether she loves you back or not. You're commanded to love her like Christ loved the church whether she does your laundry or not. You know, if we loved her that way, there'd be a lot less problems. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, verse number six. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Much of daytime television is little more than rejoicing in iniquity. I saw recently that Jerry Springer died at 79. You know, it's mind-boggling that... Uh, I, looked, I had to look it up. That show ran for 27 years. That is a long time for any show to run. 27 years. That is a lot of seasons. I mean, you look at some of the most successful franchises, successful seasons. It's like seven, eight, maybe ten years they get out of a, out of a show and program. And then it's... Do you know why it was successful? Because the world rejoices in iniquity. But Christians aren't supposed to be rejoicing in iniquity. I, ho- I mean, obviously everybody knows what that show is, but hopefully that's not part of your <laughs> what you're watching. That's filth. Um, can I just tell you, beloved, walking in truth is what produces joy. We're going to to get to this a little more when we get to verse number 8. But I want you to understand the spring in your step comes from obedience. The sorrow in your soul comes from disobedience. Proverbs 23, verse number 29 says, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without a cause? Who hath the redness of eyes? Who is it? One who has been living in sin, rejoicing in iniquity. Contrary to popular belief, beloved, God's laws are not designed to make you miserable. They're designed to make you happy. What does Psalm 1 say? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. That, that, that's what it, blessed is happy. Happy is the man. That's, that's what joy comes Happiness comes from being obedient to God. 
Many people look and say, oh, if I follow God, I'm going to be miserable. No, if you follow God, you'll be happy. You, you'll have joy. And beloved, I, I just wanted to drive home tonight this, this matter of loving one another and really thinking about it from a biblical standpoint. Not from the world's philosophy or ideas about love, but are we loving one another even in our homes, even between our husbands and wives, even in our families and relationships and things that we're dealing with? Are we, are we loving in a godly way?